I'm Alan Smith, and welcome to my favorite albums. I'm having a really tough time wrapping my head around the fact that the Counting Crows debut album, August and Everything After, is 30 years old. Not only the implications of my own age now, but just the fact that an album that was so seminal for me in college and all through my 20s and into my 30s is that old now. I know it's one of those things that happens naturally in life, but it just doesn't seem right. So this episode, I'm going to be talking about one of my absolute favorite albums, Counting Crows, August and Everything After. Before I get into the album itself, I need to give just a little bit of background on Counting Crows. I'm not going to go into all of it because we would be here for a long time if I started going through all the band members and who was in and who was out and who played on what and where other members went to and all that stuff. All that minutiae you can find on your own. You can go to their Wikipedia or their official website or any number of things and learn about all about that. But I do want to start with Counting Crows were formed in 1991. And it was at a lead singer, Adam Duritz, and then Counting Crows guitarist, Dave Bryson. They started out as a duo. Eventually, you know, they had some other people come into the band and they built up enough following to where, and they wrote songs. Uh, A couple of them that they had had been brought over from Duritz's first band, the Himalayans, uh, most notably the song Around Here. It started with that band and then uh, they brought it over and completely retooled it. You can go on YouTube or any number of places and find that original Himalayans version of the song, and it's almost unrecognizable. It is very, very grunge and of that early 90s, just just post-Nirvana feel. But when they recorded August and Everything After, there was a big hubbub with the uh, record label, uh, Geffen, that they did not want to release any singles. They just wanted to put the whole album out as a, this is what we've done. And they went back and forth and back and forth. And it just, it became one of those things where I think there were only two official sing- official singles that were released from August and everything after. It was, of course, Mr. Jones, which, let's be honest, that was released in December of 1993. And for the next... I don't know, (laughs) at least year, you could not get away from that song. And I really enjoyed that song quite a bit. The first three or four hundred times that I heard it in the first month that it was on the radio, because there was a you could not turn on the radio without hearing that song. Where my personal love of Counting Crows really grew up, where it really grew, grew from, was their second single round here. Round here, I've been very open on the Project Gen X podcast uh, in the past about my family history as well as my own struggles with depression and anxiety and all that stuff. And in 1994... I was 20 years old, and there was a lot going on in my life. I will spare you all the details because it was just kind of one of those things that happens to you at that age, you know, going through a breakup and some other stuff. And that song spoke to me in so many ways of the very embodiment of depression and kind of loneliness and 
a lot of aimlessness on top of it all, just not knowing what to do next. It is still one of my favorite songs of all time. I have covered the song before. I have, you know, that it's kind of one of those go-tos for me, you know. And again, I'm not going to get into the, the weeds of my own experience with all these songs individually, but I will say that Round Here is probably in my well but there are no music videos for them they really weren't pushed that much it was just kind of one of those things that record you know the record was like yeah we'll put these out and they did okay and a lot of people know those songs and they're both excellent songs but i really believe that the meat of this album is in the album cuts the ones that were never released to to radio and i'm going to get into that in just a minute but in doing it i think I'm just going to go through track by track and talk about the the individual songs because it really, as an album, you, you kind of have to look at the album as a whole. And in order to look at the album as a whole, you have to go into the individual songs and talk about them. The album has elements in it that deal with depression and a lot of like the malaise of being in your mid to late twenties and trying to figure out, you know, what's, what's happening in life as well as, you know, lost love and, you know, wondering what it is that you're doing with your life or if this is the right person I should be with. Um, one song in particular, and I will get into that in a minute, but let's start at the very beginning here. So August and Everything After was released September 14th, 1993. Coincidentally, I am actually recording this episode on September 14th of 2023, so I am actually on the release date. I did, that, did not plan that, it just happened. August and Everything After opens with the song Round Here. Not exactly a song that you would normally open an album with, but it sets the tone and I mean, it sets it perfectly with that, you know, with that lone guitar, you know, doing that one, that three note riff over and over again. And it really just, it sets this whole malaise of life in the mid nineties. <laughs> and it's, uh, uh, and in, you know, in your twenties and trying to figure out what it is that you're doing. And, you know, all this stuff is, you know, this character of this guy that's, Hey, you know, I can do all this stuff, but you know, don't try to tell me what to do. Don't tell me, you know, I, I can stay up late if I want to, I can do this. I can do and it's all this really, a lot of stuff that you would seem to hear a child say, but it's an adult saying it. And it's kind of that you get the sense of, Oh, this is all the stuff that this, this person has built their life around. And none of it means anything. <laughs> I know that's bleak. It's very nihilistic. It's very Gen X. <laughs> but just the tone of it, it, it captures so many emotions in, in just that one, like, five and a half minute track. When you go into the second track, Omaha. Omaha. This is a fan, this is a fan favorite for the people who are, who are big fans of Counting Crows. They they tend they still play this song live quite a bit, and it's just it's a good mid tempo you know just roots rock song that you know hey you, you you're gonna sing along to it. It's just got a great feel to it. Then the the third track was the lead single, Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones is such a strange song in that 
It is a song written about wanting to be famous so the whole world will love you. And it's the song that made them famous. <laughs> I mean, that's irony if ever I've seen it. And again, such a Gen X thing. The next song, Perfect Blue Buildings. For me personally, as much as I love this album, this might be, for lack of a better term, the least best song on here. <laughs> because I don't hate this song. I don't think it's a bad song. It is just not quite up to the rest of the album. But again, it's better than most things that you would hear on other releases of not only theirs, but a lot of other bands out there would love to have written Perfect Blue Buildings. Um, it also has a really great lyric that I love. It's 4.30 a.m. on a Tuesday It doesn't get much worse than this That is just like a, wow. Yeah, uh, I get that. I get that. Kind of that, you know, beginning of the early mid part of the week and there's nothing going on and you're still awake and you're like, man, I've got so much to do tomorrow. Why can't I go to sleep? So it's uh, I, I get that lyric. The fifth track on here, Anna Begins, another one of the songs that they still play in concert regularly. It does not bother me to say this isn't love because if you don't want to talk about it, then it isn't love. Another big fan favorite. I love this song. It has... I, I have to say, this is one of those songs where the drums make this song. I mean, it really is. The, the, the way that the drums are put together, it really makes this song. And again, it's... The, the character in the song is, is talking about... He met this person and they've been dating and he doesn't know, is this, is this the person that, that they, that he wants to be with and kind of going back and forth and saying, Hey, you know, it's really not that big a deal. I can just walk away from this and blah, blah, blah. And as it goes on, you see that like, not only has he convinced himself that he's falling in love with this girl, but he's actually starting to fall in love with her. And he's like, yeah, 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 I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And then the great capper on the end of it is that she leaves in the end. And it's like, oh, perfect ending to this song. So <laughs> uh, on to the sixth track, Time and Time Again, another great song. I wanted to see you walking backwards to get the sensation of you coming home. It is right there with Perfect Blue Buildings in that it is not my favorite song on the on the album, but it's still better than most anything else that was coming out at the time. So that means it's actually a pretty decent song, just not one of my personal favorites. Track seven is Rain King, which again was you know was a single that was released to radio. I've been thinking, and I 
funny thing about this song is that it is inspired by the the novel Henderson the Rain King by Saul Bellow. Uh, I'm sure for those of you who went to college, you read some Saul Bellow at some point. You may even have read this book. There are quite a few references because in the in the bridge, you know, it says, um, you know, Mr. Henderson's just waiting on the sun, which is that whole Henderson the Rain King, you know. And it's really a cool song. And once you and I wound up reading Henderson the Rain King eventually, and it, it's like, okay, I get it, I get it. This is this is an interesting thing here. Track eight, Sullivan Street. Take the way home leads back. the water home through the town I love this song I love this song <laughs> one of the things that I forget which reviewer from back when this first came out you know made that I think it was in Rolling Stone made the observation that a lot of these songs take place at night and it's true. You can, you can, you know, there are references to the night or this or that. And this song particularly, you know, and it really is. It's kind of one of those cool little songs that's painting a picture of driving, you know, through town, you know, dropping or, you know, with somebody and taking them back to their place and, and, and all this kind of stuff and the things that are going through your head as you're driving. And, and that's the whole thing, you know, it's, you know, that's the opening line. You know, take the way home that leads back to Sullivan, to Sullivan Street. And it just, it, it really does. It paints this beautiful little picture, uh, this story that's all self-contained in these four minutes. And I always love songs that do that kind of stuff. Number nine, Ghost Train. Took the cannonball down to the ocean Watched the diesel disappear beneath the tumbling waves Love is a ghost train This song of all of them that are on, that are on here is a, seems a little bit out of place. It's very bluesy. I, I don't even know how to describe it, it but it, again, it paints a very it, it paints a picture of you know someone reflecting on their love life, you know all these relationships that they had, and that's the whole thing. You know the ghost train, you know, you know love is like a ghost train howling through the darkness. You know and it's like how every relationship you have is just like another another box car that's put on this train that you, you like carry with you through, you know, the, the rest of your life. It, it's a pretty cool little thing. Uh, number or the 10th track is Raining in Baltimore. The circus is falling down on its knees. Big Top is crumbling down. It's raining in Baltimore. 50 miles east where you should be no one's around piano adam duritz just singing about you know it you know talking about kind of being away from the person that he loves you know and and all this kind of stuff cool little song and then track 11 a murder of one
probably the most upbeat song. Uh, besides Mr. Jones, it's the most, like, when I say upbeat, I don't necessarily mean lyrically. I mean musically. One's well, probably the most upbeat song on this this album. You know, it, it is, again, another one that, you know, I have seen them. I've seen the Counting Crows in concert more than any other band. I've seen them 13 times. And this song always is just like it, like live. It's just, it, it is a banger. This is, A Murder of One is an example of the way something is recorded as opposed to the way that it translates live. Don't get me wrong. I like the studio version of A Murder of One. But it is nowhere near as good as the live version Probably one of the most famous examples of something that just did not work in the studio that is amazing live is the song uh, I Want You to Want Me by Cheap Trick. If you've ever heard the studio version of that song, it is bland and it goes nowhere and it has no life and it's just like, what is this? However, you listen to the Live at Budokan version and that thing rocks. So that's kind of the same thing here with A Murder of One where, you know, the recorded version's cool, but then when you hear the live version absolutely stellar. So now that I've gone through all the tracks, let me tell you a little bit about my personal experience with this album as well as just Counting Crows in general. Uh, when this, when Mr. Jones first hit the radio, you know, like I said, it was in December of 1993. It really didn't take off until after the first of the year. And I remember hearing the song and being like, hey, this is a catchy little tune, you know, and um, kind of like everyone else, that, that's kind of, you, you, you hear that. There, there are quite a few songs out there, these catchy little pop songs, that when you really start delving into the lyrics, you're like, wow, this is kind of dark for whatever reason. And when I say dark with Mr. Jones, it is. It's, you know, this, you know, it's this real, like, you know, upbeat, kind of lighthearted, you know, Mr. Jones and me, you know, blah, blah, blah. But when you start looking at the lyrics, you know, it's all this stuff about, like, you know, hey, when, you know, when everybody loves me, I'll never be lonely, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, wow, that's... um that's kind of dark in and of itself. You know, it's a thinking that fame and fortune, you know, and being popular is going to make you happy. And, you know, and that's kind of the, and Adam Duritz has even talked about that. You know, it's been very well documented that when after that they, they blew up huge in 94, that he had a nervous breakdown and just didn't know how to deal with everything. It's again, it goes back to irony. It's very apropos that they wrote a song about, Hey, you know, if, if, I want to be famous, you know, I want to be, you know, I want to be Bob Dylan, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and then, you know, they become one of the biggest bands in the world and then everything kind of goes sideways. So it's just like, yeah, you know, be careful what you wish for. Um, like I said, once, uh, round here hit the radio, I was, I was really all in, but I bought the CD, I don't know, sometime after round here was released and I listened to it. And quite honestly, I, I really only liked just a couple of songs at the time. This was in 94. And it kind of set in my collection, in my uh, CD collection for a few years. In uh, 96, when they released Recovering the Satellites, their second album, it wasn't until they released, again, the second single, uh, Long Decem- December, that I was like, whoa, they've done something here. And the my girlfriend at the time was a big fan of theirs, and I was still kind of like, yeah, you know, I kind of like them, but I don't know, whatever. They were coming to town. And this is in February of 1997. And so I bought tickets because she wanted to go. I really didn't care anything about going and seeing them. But hey, you know, my girlfriend wants to go. All right, fine. I got tickets. We went. Uh, funny thing about this, this little up and coming artist named Fiona Apple opened for them that literally like had her first single. I think it was a uh, shadow dancer had just like 
been on the radio a little bit on a lot of the alternative stations. And it was like, okay, she's pretty interesting. And I kind of walked away from there going like, wow, she's pretty good. I like her. Counting Crows came on and played. And I was going through a really bad time with depression. And it seemed like every song hit me where I lived. You know, even the stuff that I didn't know even, just it, it just hit me. And it just kept hitting me and kept hitting me and kept hitting me over and over every song. I mean, the whole hour and you know, an hour and a half or so that they played, I was just like, oh my goodness, I, I did not realize, you know. So I walked away that night a huge fan, got home and, and you know, pulled out that August and everything out, everything after CD and listened to it and listened to it and listened to it. And I went and bought Recovering Satellites and listened to it and listened to it and listened to it. And, you know, the rest is history. I have many times, I, I have seen Counting Crows, like I said, 13 times in many different cities, which mean, meant many road trips with my friends, namely my friend Andy. We, we traveled all over to see them. I mean, we, we, went to, um, we went to St. Louis. We went to Toledo, Ohio. We went to uh, Cincinnati. We went to Atlanta. Um, I'm trying to think where else we went. Oh, we went to Birmingham to see them once. And of course they played here, you know, around Nashville. And it's just, it was just kind of one of those things where it's like, no, we, we want to see them. We want to see them as much as possible. We also had a couple of, one in particular, a road trip to St. That St. Louis trip. We drove all the way up there. And then with some of our other friends, we had a whole van full of people. We drove up to see them. And the show was canceled. This was in the days before we had smartphones and internet and our access and stuff. You know, this is in like 1990, at the end of 1999. And they rescheduled it for January of 2000. Of course, you know, we're, Y2K, is it going to happen? Blah, blah, blah. Nothing happened. We drove back, saw it, came home. Great show. Great show. One of those stories that, you know, in our circle of friends still gets talked about <laughs> because of just... The stuff that you when you're when you're young and you and you have a group of friends and you're all and you have love of the same interests whether it's a band or a movie or whatever it's one of those things where those types of trips kind of solid like they become solidified in your lore of of that time you know we went to St Louis and you know and all the the, the funny stories the in the in jokes and everything that happened I know I'm getting a little off of the actual album talking about this but it's one of those things again where Counting Crows releasing August and Everything After in September of 1993 planted a seed that I didn't even know about because it was a while before I really got into them but again planted that seed to grow friendships and memories and just a, a whole lot of me finding out who I am or who I was growing into that person and shaping what I would love, what I would love musically over time. You know, there's a lot of bands I listen to that don't sound anything like County Grows, but they were a, f- a formidable band for me at 20 years old, at 23 years old, at, at 27 years old. You know, it was like one of those things they just kept coming back into it and back into it and back into it. I would not give up seeing them and all the experiences in and around and the friendships that I have that were augmented by this band and most and particularly this album. So as I'm closing out this episode, I want to tell one little story that I remember vividly even now. It would have been somewhere in either January or February of 2001. I was working at CD Warehouse at the time and I was opening 
And I woken up that morning. Of course, I had a hangover because at the time it was always, I always had a hangover because of stuff that we won't get into, but also just I had been out with my friends the night before or whatever. And so I get to work. It's cold, like really cold for Tennessee anyway. And it had snowed just a little bit. Like and we had a, a dusting on the ground. You know, the streets were fine, but there was a dusting of snow on the ground. And I got there, opened the store, got everything going, turned on the, you know, turned on the sign. And of course we had CD players in there. We could listen to anything we had in the store. And that morning I really just wanted to listen to August and everything after. So I put it in and round here started playing and I was sitting there and there was nobody else in the store. Matter of fact, I didn't see anybody in the, in, in the store that morning, probably until we opened at 10, it probably was close to noon before anyone actually came in. Didn't see a whole lot of people in the parking lot. And I'm just sitting there looking out these big windows out on this mostly empty parking lot and watching the snow blow across, you know, the medians and, and the parking, you know, the parking spaces and off the cars and, and all this stuff. And there's, you know, the sun's up. Uh, it's kind of partly cloudy. You know, it was like you can still see the sun. And round here is playing. And it just set the tone for the day it said everything that i was feeling at that moment looking out the window onto this landscape and this parking lot of this little bit of snow and knowing that it's really cold out there and i'm not feeling incredibly great but it's okay because i have this album to listen to i'm sure you all have stories about the albums that you love and that's part of me putting these these podcast episodes together is for me to talk about the albums I love. Even if you, the listener, are not fans of the band or the album or whatever, that it might remind you that even if we, even if we don't all love Counting Crows or any other band for that matter, that we all do have bands that we love and we have those memories associated with and why it is that we love music so go check out our discord the link is in the show notes and tell tell me tell dave tell everybody about the bands you love and the memories you have about that i'll be back with another episode here in a couple weeks and i hope everyone's having a good night